The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So, welcome back, everyone, to Webmaster Radio and Fired Up. This is Gordon Rudo, your host once again. And for you folks who have been listening, you know I spend the first couple minutes reminding you all what we're here to do and, and what you've heard on recent episodes. Um, but I'm going to be super brief about that today. Uh, I want to dive right into conversation with Terry here. Um, so just a brief reminder on our focus. So for business communicators, for organizational leaders, for HR leaders, those who are responsible uh, for keeping organizations healthy and vital, and passionate and connected and helping organizations serve their people as well as their customers and creating great places to work. Um, that's what we're going to focus on learning about this season and hear from a lot of experts and thought leaders on different points of view about it. And over the last six episodes, you've heard some good stuff, but I'm not going to actually walk you through the details like I have on previous episodes because I want to dive right in with Terry Pierce, who we have today. So those of you who don't know Terry Pierce, you should. Um, I'll tell you, I read one of his books uh, about a year ago called Leading Out Loud. And I was working on a book for myself and reading a lot of uh, thought leaders around organizational communications and leadership and OD and change. And I was incredibly struck by this book. Uh, in fact, and I haven't told Terry this, but uh, when I got done reading this book, I was wondering to myself, should I need? Should I even write a book? You know, did, did <laughs> this get done already for me? Because he really did come um, from a lot of places that I wanted to come from, and uh, and produce a really beautiful piece of work. So, leading out loud, we're going to talk about that book today. And Terry Pierce is uh, president of Leadership Communication out of the Bay Area. He's also a professor at the Haas School of Business, uh, traveling faculty member with London Business School and has not only wrote uh, Leaning Out Loud, but another book around clicks and mortar. Uh, was that with Dave Potrick, Terry? Yes, it was. 1999, yes, it was with Dave Potrick, who was then the, the CEO of Charles Robin Company. Right, and you were also uh, one of the top executives over there. Yes, I did. I was actually on the, on the uh, officer corps there for about six, uh, six years as we were trying to take this information deep into that company. Well, I have, uh, I've learned quite a bit, so I want to share that with my guests. So if you don't mind, Terry, I'm going to just jump right in with the question. Sure. First, I, just, I would want to thank you just for the comments you made about the book. And I, I can tell you that your experience as a writer is exactly the same as mine. I mean, I was, uh, I was deathly afraid all the time that I was writing Leading Out Loud that someone was going to write the book and, and beat, me to, uh, you know, beat me to publication with it. And there were several books that came out in that, 
general time frame, and I was always convinced that someone else had uh, had done it. And of course, what you find out is that what you have to say is unique, and it doesn't really matter um, about the ideas as much as the way you express them. So, I really appreciate your uh, comments. I had that same experience myself several times. I certainly wanted to put something unique and fresh out there, and uh, and I could tell you that you certainly did. And and for my clients, uh, you know, I have a lot of Fortune 500 clients, whether they're uh, running a company, running a division, um, running a part of HR in the communications role, uh, there's not a client I have that wouldn't get value from it. Um, so, well, I appreciate uh, that very much. Putting that out there. So I'm going to just go right for the jugular, if you don't mind. Ah, please. <laughs> We're going to have a rich conversation here, but uh, I- I'm struggling with some issues, and <laughs> since I have you on the phone and other people are struggling with similar issues, I thought I'd just dive right in. Um, and it really careful. I'll give you. I'll give you the. I'll give you the phone number of my therapist if you're not careful. <laughs> well, we'll see how this goes because it, it might go there. Um, okay. Because our clients are struggling. You know, whether they're running a company and and two of my big clients are are in very public acquisitions right now, um, mm-hmm. and whether they're in those acquisitions or other clients that are just dealing with the ambiguity of the marketplace, um, they're scared. Um, they're acting out. Um, some have found kind of religion uh, on one level. You know, they found their authenticity. I know authenticity is a, a big part of what you talk about. So I have one camp of clients that are are dealing with the situation and finding themselves in it, which is beautiful. And on, on the other hand, we are getting puked on um, by other clients. And I think, you know, as as uh, someone who owns an agency, you can certainly get puked on because we're in support and all of that. But I think they're doing that to their employees as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, with this context of, of fear and change and ambiguity, you know, what's your call to leadership right now? What do you think the challenge is for leaders, and, and what advice would you give? Well, as you know, Gordon, that this is really where you earn your money, and this is where um, this is. These are the times when the distinctions that we try to make when times are good um, seem to be more obvious when times are bad, and that's exactly what's happening here. So people that were skilled at it before are still skilled at it, and people that weren't skilled at it before are not skilled at it, and it's it's getting worse for them, not better. Uh, the whole idea of leading is to be able to accept the current reality with a certain amount of uh, equanimity and to lead from a place of your values all the time instead of leading from a place of however the market happens to be treating you. It makes a huge difference if you have your feet on the ground and you really know who you are and uh, and why you're in business um so uh, those are those are just that's that's just uh, as they say that you know circumstances uh, reveal character they don't create it and that's exactly what's going on now uh, it's a great time to learn though isn't it i mean it's a really good time to be teaching those clients who are as you said puking on you that uh, there's another way to go about it and teaching is real difficult right now and you're right this is where we earn our money but there is um some armor up that is unlike what I've seen before, and I've been through a couple of these cycles. You've probably been through a couple more than sure. I have. Um, but uh, how do you pierce the armor? How do even in a communications role, if you're the head of communications and you want to help your leader um, show up more authentically and um, be more vulnerable and humanize the organization, um, how how do we go about it? Well, there, you know, three. I've got three or four you know, phrases that I like to practice on myself and and sometimes on my clients. First of all, you know, as a coach or consultant in this particular area, you know that rather than having answers, you've got a lot of questions because the the 
the whole idea of coaching a leader to become a leader is um, is one of uh, becoming, not one of just you know letting them know or giving them a few crummy uh, insights into how they might behave. So uh, having the right questions to ask would be the first thing, and some of those questions might be, especially in today's environment, uh, you know, Doctor Phil's great question is a good one. Like, how's that working for you? So if if people are puking on their on their uh, on their employees, as you suggested. Chances are they're probably getting some on their own shoes as well, and uh, pointing that out and suggesting that uh, there might be a different way would be that would be one question you'd want to ask. A second question that I always like to ask, uh, or a suggestion that I like to give them, is to quote try this. That is, uh, in the field of leadership communication, which is really my specialty, I don't do a lot of agency work and or advertising work, but leadership communication. Uh, there's always an opportunity to do some platform design. And in that way, you have a chance to put words in the in, in the mouth of your leader. Now, if you're lucky enough to know them well, if you're lucky enough to know who they are and what their values are, you can put those words in in a way that they're really effective. And when the person says them and hears them, they're absolutely astounded by the response that they get. It's in stark contrast to the response they got while they were communicating in the other way. So that's another way to do it, is to, is to have the skill and ability to say, hey, try this. What you're doing isn't working very well. Let's try this. Uh, that's been very effective for me. Um, and the third way is to engage them in conversation when they say what the fear is about, and you've really named that well, that uh, there is a lot of fear going on now, um, is to suggest that uh, ways in which they can be authentic in the face of their fear. I can't tell you the number of calls I get from clients and former clients that are like that. They'll say, "Well, gee, you know, I need your help Friday. I've got to, I've got to tell a group of employees that we're going to cut back on some benefits or something like that." And and my question will be, "Well, what are you afraid of?" And they'll say, "Well, you know, afraid that they'll think we didn't uh, consider all the ramifications or all the possibilities. I'm afraid that they'll think that the cutback in." Um, benefits isn't going to affect me at all because I'm the CEO and I make more money than they do, and I'm afraid of X and Y. Now, what do you think I should say? And I'll say, well, say that. You know, there's a way in which uh, showing up uh, in that environment with the fears being stated uh, is a way of showing the vulnerability that you're going to need to gain the credibility that you're going to need to get the change that you want. So expressing vulnerability, and we know this is a real difficult thing for leaders. Um, we're going to take sure. a short break, but we want to come back and talk about the ego um, of leaders and the difficult situation that they're in in holding that, that power position and their own fears and concerns about uh, being vulnerable. So we're going to come right back with Terry and uh, dive deeper into this topic. Just two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Have a good weekend, Andy. See you, Andy. Hey, Jim, why are all the coders leaving so early? Doesn't your department have a deadline of, like, midnight or something? Me and my staff are here all night. 
I saved money on my staffing budget by outsourcing a lot of work to Offshoring.com. I told them I needed a coder, and they sent me profiles fast. My staff just filled in the little details, and now we're having margarita night. Offshoring.com. Fast and expensive. Excellent and on time. Offshoring.com. Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, XY7.com, has now launched XY7Elite.com. It's a private, invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates for super affiliates. Enjoy private tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card. XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major industry events and the status of being one of the elite publishers xy7 elite is not for everyone and you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements think you got what it takes to be elite go to www.xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 once again that's xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 search engine marketing formulated for web 2.0 SEM Synergy. Live broadcast Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. On WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Terry Pierce talking about the challenge of leadership and uh, the challenge of being vulnerable. And I just want to um, as I said earlier, kind of go for the jugular. Uh, the ego of of executives, um, it, it's a challenging thing for companies. And I think that this was an Emerson quote quite some time ago, that every organization is the shadow of one man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a lot of different ways and different quotes and sayings that, that speak to something real similar. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at organizations as as energetic bodies like I do, and I can talk more about that, but um, what is the effect of, of ego, of an organiz- of a leader's ego on an organization? Well, I think what Emerson meant by that, and, and it's something that I uh, also talk a lot about, is that whether you're IBM or whether you're, uh, you know, some uh, you know, five-person organization that sells services to restaurants, uh, one person started it. One person had the idea. There was one entrepreneur behind it. Um, and it doesn't matter if now it's 100,000 or 200,000 people or it's only five or six people. We know you know, that IBM is in the shadow of Tom Watson Sr., and, and that's true of just about every great company. Well, not just about. It's true of every great company that's ever uh, lived, and it's true of every bad company. And I think that's what Emerson had in mind. Now, the, the problem is, of course, if it's just the ego of the of the leader and not his or her sense of what he or she wants to provide to the world, uh, then uh, the effect of the ego can be striking. And I would suggest to you that in most cases, when that is the only projection that comes out of the leader, we don't know about that company because they're not around very long. Um, There has to be something greater. I used to go to... um, a lot of meetings in the Silicon Valley between venture capitalists and budding CEOs and entrepreneurs. And one of my favorite questions was always um, to ask these guys about three words. It was value, values, and valuation. And ask them, you know, how they would rank those in terms of importance and which one comes first. 
And invariably, after an hour-long discussion, they would decide that uh, the values that they wanted to express in the world came first, the value that they provided to the marketplace came second, and the valuation was really the result of all of that. So I think that's uh, the good part of what Emerson had in mind. The bad part is if uh, the ego does get in the way and and uh, all the leader wants to do is reflect himself or his grandeur in the world, then we probably don't know much about him. We can give some examples if you'd like. Yeah, I think this is a worthy topic. And when we talk about ego, it's easy to run to egoism and, and all the negative elements of it. But, you know, ego as the construct of identity that we form for ourselves, um, that mm-hmm. sense of separateness that somehow um, leaks into our lives over time, um, it's not all bad. And I don't want to even judge it as kind of a negative or positive. It's just a structure that, that becomes powerful. And I agree. Well, very, very healthy I've one. If it's, if it's a very healthy ego, is a very strong ego. That's correct. Yeah, and it, all, it could be a, a, a sense of purpose and confidence that creates purpose and confidence in the organization. And just in, in light of, of where we started the conversation around fear, now if that ego is is insecure, if this leader is um, you know a, a powerful human being when it comes to um, ideas and money, but it, it has deep fears having to do with their own capabilities of, of taking the company through this time. Um, it's a real challenge to the organization. Just wanted to sense, uh, get a sense of, of your experience of this or any stories that you have around this, and, and just to help our listeners better understand how to help leaders kind of deconstruct where these fears are, where their structures are in the way. Sure. And, if, you know, if you... If you as long as you have a strong observer, uh, then an ego is a very healthy thing. If if the observer gets lost, uh, if you don't have a sense of yourself as something other than that, you know, persona of that that thing that you think you are, then you then that's when you start to get in trouble, because fear then begins to drive you, and a lack of success that you use to measure yourself begins to affect what you what you do and the way you treat other people. That's that's true of any of any organization or any family or any individual for that matter. So you know, my experience of that is just to maintain for them um, an observer, a sense of someone outside looking in uh, so that when it's clear that there is some fear motivating whatever it is that they do, that at least it gets seen. It's not unseen. It's not um, you know driving them without um, them being aware of it. Lately, we've seen an awful lot of uh, fear driving people's decisions within companies. And uh, that fundamentally comes from a sense of insecurity, you know, of of, of uh, what they're afraid of and how they're afraid that that their you know sense of responsibility is going to get the most of them, uh, going to get the best of them. Let's just look at one one little example since it's uh, gone by the wayside and it's uh, pretty good historically. I think it will be an interesting one for us. Uh, Sun Microsystems just sold to Oracle. I think that's a really interesting uh, transaction that's going on there. Um, yeah. But one one of the aspects of Sun that always interested me was their CEO, the longtime CEO, Scott McNeely's um, perception of what that company was about. Um, from the time that he came in as CEO until the time he actually left, he defined that company's role as defeating Microsoft. They were at war with a company that he felt was treating them unfairly in a marketplace. And that drove an awful lot of his rhetoric, an awful lot of the metaphor that was used in the company, and an awful lot of the policy and strategic um, strategic objectives that they laid out from year to year. Now, that to me is a very... Uh, 
unhealthy, egotistical way to drive a company. Um, and for my part, if I got up every morning thinking that I was going to war, I wouldn't be with that company very long. Uh, that comes out strictly out of one person's sense of what justice is about and one person's sense of how he wants to respond. So he uses the tools at his disposal, which in that case was a substantial company, to express it. Uh, and I think that's, frankly, I think that's what derailed that company, and I think that's why the best people left when they did. And what's your sense of, of how Jonathan Schwartz took over? I, it's interesting. I spent a significant amount of time there, and uh, they were very focused on being a cause-based organization. There was a lot of questions inside whether they cared as much about revenue and making money as they do uh, conquering the digital divide or a variety of different statements about you know making a difference in the world. Uh, is this kind of a, a polar reaction to where Scott was? And uh, I think it, I think it was. I think I absolutely think it was, and um, you know that's another way to lose your way, right? When you, when that becomes um, the the shield that you wear. I mean, Levi Strauss, great example, right? They lost their way. They forgot they were a company that was responsible to outside stakeholders. They bought it back. They began a became a cause based company without any performance. And uh, when you do that, you run the risk of losing your franchise. Right. Well, you talk about this issue around ego, and, and as we're talking about these examples, uh, I think a quote in your book was something around main, uh, getting to know your emotional makeup yeah. as one of the responsibilities for leaders. Um, so if we have people like Scott or Jonathan and, and we're in support functions trying to help the organization get through this time, um, how do we help our leaders understand our emotional makeup, and you talk about this observer role that you play. What lessons can we glean from that? You mean how, how do we help them get to know their emotional makeup? Yeah, how can we support them, and how do we give the space to them or any tools that you have in your coaching that would be applicable for, for uh, our audience on, on how to support their leaders? Well, first of all, in terms of leadership communication, it's an, emotional, it's an emotionally-based skill. You know, I make a lot of distinctions about what that means because the field of leadership communication has only been around since the mid-'90s. So one way of thinking about it is that about these aren't polar opposites, but these are ways of thinking about leadership communication as opposed to operational communication. Um, for example, one, one, one could say that operational communication is about motivation, but leadership communication is about inspiration. Uh, we know that operationally we want people to be able to change, but the leader's responsibility in communication is to define that as progress instead of mere change. Operationally, we want to be competent. As a leader, we want to be trustworthy. We want to be sure we have a good strategy within the company, but we, but it has to be based on values. Uh, we want people to do what they're supposed to do or comply, but we also want them committed. So these are some of the distinctions that we can make when we're talking about talking to the leader or coaching the leader about what his or her job actually is. Now, those words, inspiring, progress, trustworthy, values, commitment, meaning, depth, loyalty, these words are words of being, as, Mas as Maslow would put. So encouraging the leader to find out who he or she is uh, rather than just what they can do is uh, the primary responsibility of anyone that wants to coach or consult with a leader and make them more effective. Uh, because coming from that, always coming through the prism of those values is essential. 
Now, the other side of that, the other side of that hand is competence. You mentioned Sun and how they had a polar opposite reaction. Uh, the, the, the other side of it is competence. That is, you have to be able to stay in business. So while you're inspiring and you're defining progress and being trustworthy and creating values, you also have to be strategically smart, operationally correct, and make good decisions uh, and get results. Uh, often I think that, that leaders believe that their job is to motivate and create change and show their competence and make money, uh, when really that's only half of it. That's only one side of the hand. The other side of the hand, which is the emotional side, the side that we deal with, is the part that's inspiring, defines progress, is trustworthy, creates values, and creates commitment. So those distinctions are central to being able to get people to think about leadership in that way. So you know, once you get, right. once you start thinking that way, then you can suggest that well, maybe one of the most important things is that you discover who the hell you are, and uh, what it is that matters to you, and then figure out how we can start expressing it in the context of this organization. Interesting, and we can't really do the former until we do the latter, the operational communications and tactically getting people to um, to do the, the day-to-day behaviors the way that we expect it isn't going to happen if they don't trust their leaders. So we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the power of story and how to help leaders craft those stories in meaningful ways and hear about what Terry's up to today uh, and into the future, and I have some hints about what that is um, and some really interesting stuff. So uh, come right back with us in about two minutes. Uh, and we'll hear some takeaway lessons from Terry and what he's up to today. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan from the Daily Searchcast. You know, we love bringing you the news every day, and that's made possible by the sponsorship of BruceClay.com. They've just made Inc. Magazine's list of the fastest-growing private businesses. They've exhibited and sponsored at my conferences from the very beginning. Bruce has got that long-standing search engine relationship chart, had been out there with the code of ethics, been a search engine expert in the field for ages. But did you know that Bruce Clay can do more than help you with just SEO? They can do PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding. Everything you need for success in the online marketplace, you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7. Analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it. So that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash on target. Here's your bill. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's all right. I'll take care of the tab, Jason. Well, thanks, Dave. How are you doing so well these days? It seems everyone's in a pinch for cash. RevenueWire.com, that's how. RevenueWire? Yeah, RevenueWire.com is an all-in-one platform offering affiliates high-demand software from top-notch PC utility merchants. With 75% commissions, twice-monthly payouts, incredibly accurate analytics tools, RevenueWire is making me more money today than I did in the last few years put together. Even in this economy? Especially in this economy. RevenueWire has a ton of great products to meet the demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. 
Affiliate Convention 2009 Denver. Free for all affiliates and all the information you need to know to grow your business. June 18th and 19th. For more information about registration and sponsorship, visit www.affiliateconvention.com. You're getting fired up only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Terry. And uh, we're going to talk about the power of story. So we're talking about the ego of leaders and how do we get through that and help them as, as observers and, and orient them to, to look at their ways of being, not just their ways of communicating and not just looking at the operations, but looking at more of the inspirational communication. So um, the power of story is real interesting and important part of our work. And, and I got quite a bit out of Leading Out Loud around thinking about story and the unconscious mind and how to think about narrative and metaphors and myth. Um, so with a few minutes left, Terry, what's the juice on the power of story and how it helps shape organizational success? Well, as you know, you know one, of the, one of the things I did four years ago was to go back to graduate school in mythology and depth psychology because I felt that was kind of the leading edge of this field, and I still do today. Uh, we just did a forum on the nature of inspiration, and we looked at it through actually four windows. One was uh, one was neurobiology, one was depth psychology, one was uh, uh, mythology, and the fourth one was loosely termed uh, spirituality. But of all of those, uh, we could definitely see the connections between depth psychology, uh, mythology, and neurobiology. Uh, a lot of the leading-edge research right now is telling us why we connect so strongly with narrative and how that works from the standpoint of the, of the actual brain, the limbic system, and how people connect, and uh, particularly mammals, and only mammals, as a matter of fact, connect through the limbic system. So the telling of stories complete with their emotional content uh, is critical. That also is uh, obviously supported by the history and significance of mythology, and and therein you know, lies uh, the key to unlocking the differences between cultures and how we inspire uh, from one culture to another. Uh, because we know we have many, many common stories, particularly stories of creation, stories of values. We know now that there are eight or nine uh, events in life that are common to, uh, across cultures that we can weave stories about and that we can relate our experiences through uh, when we're uh, trying to inspire cross-culturally. So that's the kind of leading edge of my own research is that question, is it possible to inspire people without regard to their culture, where they came from, their basic beliefs, their religions, or economic circumstances? So there is tremendous power in communicating with stories, and that's why. Um, we'll learn a lot more about that in the next uh, few years. That's also true, by the way, of metaphor, because it, it too, metaphor creates an image. So you're dealing with a different part of the brain, than we are when we deal only in concept. Uh, this is the part of the brain that really does respond. It gets inspired. It sees things that it wouldn't see otherwise. Um, you know, a few insights are uh, great. You know, a few ideas, they're terrific. But when there's, um, when there's a story or a narrative uh, to create a meaning, uh, that's when people really get inspired and move forward. So to link it to organizational success, uh, and I shared this on, I think, the last radio show. I had a client just a few weeks ago who's a very operations and analytically driven company, and I introduced them to the power of story and, and did some leadership exercises around crafting a point of view around their values and their culture. And, uh, and their first take of, of this exercise was, this feels really soft and squishy. You know, no, where, sure. where's the meat here? Um, 
you know, what is your point of view of how to get an operations mind to understand the return on investment, if you will, of uh, investigating and, and facilitating a storytelling environment in their business? Okay, this is pretty. This is pretty easy to demonstrate. You know, I mean, when was the last time that anybody was sitting around a campfire telling stories and they heard a comment like, "Well, I disagree with that." I mean, stories are by their nature analog, and that represents real life. We know that life is lived as an analog, not as a you know a few digital marks on a graph. So once you once you get into that, once you have uh, an emotional reaction to a story, uh, it's pretty self-evident to any leader that it's a powerful way to communicate. So it's self-evident, it's intuitive, but you're suggesting there's there's even uh, neurobiological research that says that our limbic system is responding to this emotional content, and from a mythological standpoint, that these, these stories are archetypes in our unconscious, that there's literally um, biological reactions that are happening around inspiration, not just something in our minds or emotionally. Yeah, absolutely, and, and we know they're not all archetypes, but they're all. But the the nature of the narrative is a pattern, and it's fitting with the pattern that we have in our in our subconscious. So we know that the implicit memory of the limbic system, for example, brings those patterns up. That's why we can talk about things like birth and death and leaving home and um, all of the experiences that we have just because we're human and connect around those. Those happen to be archetypal stories, but there are others as well. Uh, it's in the nature of narrative itself, not necessarily in the content, where the inspiration comes. There's a lot of really good literature about it. What was that? There's a lot of really good literature about it, too. There's a lot of, a lot of research being done on this now. That's uh, pretty exciting. So as we're looking at neurobiology and mythology, and we talked about the ego, and we talked about authenticity, before we go, there's actually one more topic I want to talk about, and I I know you have some takeaways for our our audience, but the other thing that I learned about you in the last couple days is uh, your concentration around gratitude. Yes. I'd love to hear a minute or so on why gratitude is an important thing for you and how that fits into this picture. Well, of course, it's, uh, first of all, it's authentic gratitude is one way to, uh, one way and perhaps the best way to engender trust and trustworthiness. Uh, the trick here is like uh, any other trick with uh, ways of being, and, and that is that it has to be authentic. So one of my teachers, um, a Benedictine monk named David Steidelrest, uh, has an organization called Angel or Network for Great, Grateful Living. Brother David was telling me that the way he first learned uh, authentic gratitude was when his his proctor, the, the head of the monastery where he was, told him that he had to practice gratitude and that meant that each day he had to write three thank you notes before he left his cell to go to his work. And Brother David thought at the time, well, that's not too hard, but as he was leaving, uh, his, his, uh, the rector turned around and said, oh, and by the way, you have to have the experience of gratitude. So that meant that he had to write in such a way that he actually felt the gratitude that he was writing on the piece of paper. When you do that kind of an exercise, it teaches you what the nature of real gratitude is. It also teaches you that people get it when you have the experience, even though you might have many more flowery words and many more uh, pretty things to say. If you don't have an experience of gratitude when you're expressing it, neither does the other person. And uh, so for me, that's a great way to reach the deepest part of ourselves, just by learning how to express authentic gratitude. Pretty much of a shortcut. That, 
that links right up to what Donna Markova talked about a couple of weeks ago around authenticity and gratitude as well, that there's biological or neurobiological research that there's mirror neurons that literally people can feel in their neuro, neural pathways. There's literally messages that are being transferred, transmitted on uh, the reality of that expression, uh, how true that is for them. And when there's gratitude, people feel gratitude on the other side. That's correct, and they can. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the trick, and here's what's in it for us as consultants, is that the ability to generate mirror neurons and the ability to generate empathy is actually um, can be a learned behavior, and it's not equally distributed in the population. So uh, there are good transmitters and there are good receivers. Um, we know a certain we know neurobiologically, for example, that that uh, a group is a force multiplier. That's why when you go to a rock concert, it's pretty easy to get into it, or if you sing in a choir. Uh, so there are lots of variables that affect brains differently. But Donna certainly has the right idea. I mean, the, the research on mirror neurons now is is part of and a central part of what we're learning about empathy and how it actually is generated. So how do we wrap all this up, Terry? There's a lot of ground that we covered and a lot more that we could. But uh, if we take all of your years of of work and study and and writing uh, and take this conversation forward for our listeners into a couple discreet takeaways. What what would you say that they can start thinking about or doing differently uh, after this show that would make a difference? Well, sure. Now, remember, you know, I'm like a carpenter with a hammer. Everything looks like a nail to me. So, uh, you know, my field is leadership communication, and that's what I would focus on. And the first thing I would say is that communication is starts with a journey of self-discovery, and that's where it ends, that there's a, there is a need to want to know yourself and to understand that that is never going to be accomplished, but that it's a constant companion uh, for, so that you can learn what your true values are and what actually matters to you. That's the first thing. And then learning how to express that is the second part. And that's That comes with disciplining the voice, being able to demonstrate, as we talked earlier, that you can actually show your vulnerability. You can show the math. You can, you can verbalize uh, what it is that you've gone through to make a, a particular decision. Uh, the third thing would be to develop your emotional intelligence or your empathy. This is the point that you and I were just on. We know that there are ways of developing your ability as a transmitter and a receiver so that you can develop an actually uh, more capability in empathy that largely is through either what we would normally call therapy or having mentors, you know, having people that can guide you, uh, and or some kind of practice. So we would call them a spiritual practice, but really can be any kind of practice where you learn how to watch your own mind. And then the the fourth thing is to learn how to connect through uh, through narrative, uh, to really kind of stop yourself at the at the edge of fact and see if there is a story or a narrative or a personal experience or a metaphor that can help you express yourself in a different way. Excellent takeaways. You heard it all from Terry Pierce. Uh, if you want to hear more or learn more, uh, listeners, check out terrypierce.com. And uh, thank you again for joining, Terry. It's a pleasure. I, I'd love to have you back sometime. This is stuff that uh, I think has extreme value and that I could talk about all day. It would be terrific, and uh, congratulations on the show. It's really been a pleasure for me to be on with you. Uh, well, anytime. Uh, and listeners, check us out at uh, www.twitter.com forward slash Fired Up Radio. We want to hear your ideas, things that you want to learn more about. 
So check us out on Twitter or check us out on Webmaster Radio and join some of the discussion boards. Um, but we look forward to seeing you again next week. And uh, thanks again, Terry, and thanks to Webmaster Radio. We'll catch you soon.